it's not even our fault, really. It's just like that's what people have fed to us forever. Like, you know, you're you're that guy. Everybody wants to be that that guy that just breezes through every match and doesn't even train, drinks on the weekends and wins everything, you know. And so I think that's that's like the most dangerous, I think, lie that's been fed to us. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that... Nathan Mendelssohn is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt under Claudio Franca, who was one of the very first black belts to bring jiu-jitsu to California, Santa Cruz in particular, and a crucial contributor to the growth of this sport and martial art in North America. Nathan is one of the top American grapplers of his generation learning under Claudio. But it's not just Nathan's tremendous list of achievements that garnered him notoriety in the martial arts community. It's also his open-minded attitude toward training, often breaking strict team taboos to practice with the best in this martial art and sport. Nathan was inspired by his childhood hero, Rickson Gracie, a famed practitioner of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and the subject of the 1995 documentary called Choke. Nathan described him as the embodiment of the modern-day samurai, and learning jiu-jitsu was Nathan's own way of chasing that childhood dream of becoming a real-life samurai. Nathan was recently ranked as the number eight middleweight black belt in the world and positioned to move up even higher in the rankings. But before he, he was able to do that, he hit a major roadblock, a major speed bump, a knee injury. But thanks to medical advances over the past 20 years or so, this wasn't the career-ending injury it could have been. But it still led to a number of frustrating moments during recovery and caused Nathan to slide in the rankings even further. But he tried not to let that negativity affect his life, telling us that it's really important to have a positive storyline in in his head at all times. And instead of viewing the injury as an obstacle to his goal, he took it as an opportunity to take six months off for the first time in his career. It was a time he could use to not only let his body recover, but also hone his mindset and map out his comeback plan. Like a lot of what you learn, training and martial art, I think this lesson in particular is a highly applicable one to everyone's life. And in our conversation, Nathan shares a number of lessons he learned over the years, such as when we learn new things, we often get focused on the little details, but it's more about being there, about being present and letting the situation churn you, as Nathan called it. And if you embrace that churn, you'll get better naturally over and over again. If you focus on all of the little details and the minutiae, it's extremely easy to get overwhelmed and you ultimately get defeated or you quit. Another lesson Nathan shared is the idea of eliminating things from your life that just aren't helping you realize your goals or get closer to your goals. And for Nathan, he shares a a courageous moment where he decided to give up drinking alcohol because it wasn't contributing to his, his goals and it negatively affected every aspect of his training and he didn't like who he was when he was drinking. And this is a a big deal for him because it's not something that's easy to do in a world where drinking is present at at many, if not all, social occasions. But he said it's one of the best decisions he's ever made in his life. Another really important lesson is the importance of affirmations and mentors. And after becoming a black belt, pressure ramped up for Nathan in his career. And so one of his mentors, who who is Greg Amundsen, a former guest of the Impact Entrepreneur Show and my CrossFit coach, taught him about affirmations and mantras, which he now uses before he competes. His main mantra is this, I always believe in my ability to impose my game on any opponent. 
And he unpacks why that is a powerful mantra during our conversation, and you're going to want to dig into that. Another mantra that that he uses and that I love that he just says these to himself is that every fight is my first fight, my last fight, and my only fight. And he he says that when he goes into long tournaments or any tournaments where he's facing off with multiple competitors. There is so much amazing insight, content, motivation inside of this conversation with Nathan. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, embrace for impact. Nathan Mendelson, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. Dude, I am pumped. We've got a special guest. What's this little guy's name? <laughs> this is Gabby. Gabby. What's up, Gabby? <laughs> Gabby is uh, Nathan's four, four-legged friend who just totally barged in here and Beat it, Gab. You're not invited <laughs> to the podcast. Um, man, I am I'm pumped to uh to have you to learn about your story, to talk about mindset, to talk about setbacks, confidence, competition, all of that stuff. But we always begin with kind of the origin story. So I wanted to know when you were growing up, who your childhood hero was. Wow, that's a that's a good question. I wish I was prepared to think about that one. <laughs> it depends on what what time in my uh, my childhood Anytime. you're talking yeah. about. But after uh, after I started jujitsu, probably Hicks and Gracie. From about the time I was about ten years old, when I started doing jujitsu, and I saw Choke, the documentary Choke. Uh, from that point on, he's pretty much been my uh, my hero. What stood <laughs> out to you in that documentary when you were? looking at that and watching him and listening to him. Cause I, I've heard him speak, you know, and yeah. there's like this, it's, there's this confidence, but it's, it's not cocky. Right. It's just very firm. Yeah. Yeah. He's like uh, the embodiment of like a uh, uh, modern day samurai. I feel like, you know, so mm -hmm. that's kind of the thing that, you know, I'm really, I've always been into samurais, just like kids are always into samurais and stuff. And then for me, it was kind of like, wow, this guy's like a, a real life samurai, you know, and jujitsu to me kind of became a way to try to kind of embody that, that uh, modern day samurai, you know, so you, uh, you also have a pretty close knit family. Uh, I've met your mom. I've met your dad. You train with your dad. Yeah. Uh, you had the privilege of putting a brown belt on your dad. I did. <laughs> uh, or and then and uh, another degree after that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's pretty cool. Uh, and I've seen your mom and you at at church and stuff. And so, what do you value most about your friends and family? Wow. I mean, my family. You know, is, they're the most supportive people in the world, you know, they do the sacrifices and how hard my mom works to make it even possible for me to go after my dream is like ridiculous. So, you know, and my dad, he, uh, he's pretty much since I was born, he kind of dedicated himself like to me kind of, you know, I felt like, I feel like his, the things that he liked to do kind of fell to the side a little bit. I feel like when I was born, I kind of became his thing. You know, he used to be like really into hiking and surfing and all that kind of stuff. And then I feel like I kind of, it kind of barged my way into to that place in his life and it kind of became all me, you know? So, um, I'm definitely a product of that dedication, you know, of the, of my, my family. And it's kind of, you know, a testament to when your parents are really like present and there and, and, uh, caring about you and everything thing. So, you know, I can definitely never take all the credit for anything that I've done. It's been mostly like my dad was the one that took me to karate when I was four and then Taekwondo when I was six and then jiu-jitsu when I was 10 and put me in water polo. And I used to want to do football, like uh, play football. And uh, my dad shoved me into water polo early so I wouldn't do football and stuff. So he's always kind of been there like guiding, guiding me you. the whole way through and stuff. And so it's actually cool that we got him into jiu-jitsu because I feel like he kind of kind of was leaving himself to the side a little bit, you know, he gained a lot of weight and stuff. And, and when I was like 18, I kind of, uh, was old enough, I feel like, to kind of pressure him where when I was younger, he wouldn't listen to me. And then I just started kind of poking and prodding him until I finally was able to get him to do jujitsu, you know, as a, kind of as a way for him to do something for him too. And then he lost a ton of weight and everything. So it's good to, to see that too. But, you know, my friends, of course, too, are always 
they're all my my jiu-jitsu friends or my closest friends and stuff. So like um Rafael Eboli and and Fernando Malia, they came down to to Worlds for me last year. I kind of hurt my knee before Worlds. So it was kind of, you know, I, I actually tore my ACL like the week before Worlds. So uh I was a little extra nervous than than normal, you know, and they they came down, they took work off and got a hotel and everything just to go down just to watch me and be there for me so that I wouldn't have to be like you know, the the hardest part before a tournament isn't being out there. It's like the day and two days before the tournament where you're just like got time to kill. You're not, you can't eat because you're, you know, trying to keep your weight down and stuff. So they came down just to be there with me so that we could be, you know, talking and stuff and joking around and make the time go by quicker and stuff. So, you know, anytime that there's an athlete or anything, it's definitely the people around them and the support mm-hmm. that makes it all. Was there ever a time going back to your dad? Cause I, I see your dad, you and your dad, together more than you and your mom and was there ever a time growing up where you know between you know the age of 10 and 18 or whatever where you were going through the typical you know teenage kind of thing and you know didn't really want to do it and your dad just had to say you know what you gotta i'm not gonna force you anymore you gotta own this or 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 whatever like like i'm not gonna I'm like, it's, it's on you, buddy. Did you ever have one of those come to Jesus moments? <laughs> well, well, it was kind of funny because my dad always used to tell me, like, he always used to be like, you know, you can, uh, you can, you can quit if you want, but you can't not go to class. So that was always his quote. So it would come like to, it used to be like, uh, Taekwondo would be Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, I think something like that. So when class would come around, it was just, I'm going, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't, Oh, can I go? Can I not go? And then jujitsu ended up being the same thing. I think it was the same day as like Tuesday, Thursday. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I ended up stopping doing Taekwondo, but <laughs> I love that. You, I just had that this click for a second because you can quit if you want, but you can't miss class. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny. Yeah. That was always the, the what he told yeah. me, you know, but I never really tried to test whether I actually would, could quit or yeah. if he would even let me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, not that I didn't want to go, but it was like one of those things like when it comes time to go, you just got to go, you know. And then there was a time when I was like... Let's see. It was. I think it was a summer in between middle school and high school, where I, you know, because I did a lot of things. Like I was, I tried to be good at school, and uh, I did. I played in the band, and then I did water polo, and then I did um, jujitsu. So it was like um, Monday, Wednesdays. I had water polo and band, and then I had Tuesday, Thursday jujitsu, and so I just felt like really busy. And then the summer came around and I was like, I just want to have a summer where I can just play video games with my friends and skateboard and just do like the things that I want to do. And, and that's where I kind of tested that. Like, can I not go if I don't want to go, you know? And then, and he didn't like that. That was like a, a, it was kind of a, like a tension thing between me and him where my dad is like just the most loving guy ever. And, uh, but he's really like, his mind, I get this from him too. His mind like runs a lot. So, you know, it's something that makes us productive too. I think like with, with, uh, training and stuff, if I don't go to training, it'll, it's easier for me to go to training than have to deal with what's going to happen in my head. If I don't go, because I'm just going to run it over my head. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You got a tournament, you got to whatever. So my dad was kind of the same way in that situation where I wanted to take this, this, year this uh three months off for summer and his mind was just running the whole time that i was not training like is he gonna start again is he gonna go you know he'd seen so many kids that are like oh we're just gonna take a break and then never never show back you know and he's like oh i just had this stress it was like every minute that passed during that summer he was just like stressing out the whole time you know and he kept fighting with me like go back go back (laughs) you know and then i'm like nope I'm, i'm gonna take a summer off i'm gonna take a summer off and I took a summer off and then like the first month of school came back and I didn't go back, you know, like a uh, water polo season came. So I started back at water polo and then I didn't go back to jujitsu and another month came and another month came and, and then he was really getting stressed. And then, and then eventually I came back to, and that, that was the only time ever in my life until my knee injury that I took like a, a period of months where I didn't train. <laughs> Did you miss it during that time? I'm trying to remember. I think I did, but I was at, at a time in my life too, where I was just like, when I was a kid, I just felt overwhelmed. And then I don't know, just like teenage angst to yeah. just like, it was like, I just got done with middle school. And then I'm like, now I'm going to high school. 
So yeah. I have to start everything all over again. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then after that, I go into the workforce. Like, yeah. when is this? Do, when do yeah, I yeah, get yeah. to just be not do anything? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You need, yeah, you needed it. You needed it so that you could own it. Also, when you if you decided to start it back up, it would become Nathan's thing and not Nathan's dad's thing. Right. You know. But then after, what's your dad's name again? Rod. Rod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But nowadays, if I, you know, if I take time off, like during during when I hurt my knee the first like week or two, it was kind of fun just to not have anything to do and just be kind of laid up. And then like, that's about as long as I like to have nothing. Yeah. To yeah, totally. And we're, we're going to, we're going to talk about that. Cause that was a, that was pretty big for you, uh, that knee in- injury. But before we get there, did you I mean, so you, you were doing water polo, which is a crazy sport in and of itself. I mean, the, the level of intensity training, cardiovascular conditioning, all of that stuff. I mean, it's super intense. Then BJJ, your dad obviously wanted to to uh, help you realize what you were capable of doing physically and mentally through these really challenging sports, which is really amazing that he had the foresight to kind of see that. Did did he have a martial arts background, or why did he put you in in martial arts? Yeah, I, I need to ask him that. Actually, I, I've I've thought about that. Why that was something that he kind of put me on that since the very beginning. Like I, you know, part of it, I think is just like, just kind of fate or God or Mm -hmm. whatever, because it was like, I started, the first thing that I started doing was karate. And that was, um, cause right here next to my house, there's a plaza. I was at this house that I live in still with my parents. I live in this little place where we're at right now in this Recording. Uh, little, little, little bungalow, little bungalow in the back. Yeah. It's my home base and I'm not <laughs> traveling around. But I was actually born in this house. I was a home home birth. Oh wow. Okay. And then, uh, in the plaza behind here, they're open like a karate studio. So that's where I started when I was like four years old. Um, so it was just, I think, just by chance, you know. And then I think, guess there's not like a lot of activities that you can do when you're four years old. So yeah. I think my dad wanted me to get into something and then transition to Taekwondo or Hokuk Musol, actually next to Greg's. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, right. Yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's been there that long. Master Jin. Oh, yeah. my gosh, man. That guy's a legend. Yeah, he looks about the same as he did back then. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the jiu-jitsu that I started, Claudio Francis, moved into this same plaza where that where the uh-huh. karate was. So it just... Just uh, kind of all the dominoes fell into place. Yeah. How? So you started when you were 10. When was your first competition? What? Was, how old were you when you did your first comp? I, I have to look at that. It was... But it was pretty soon after after I started because I was really into the, the Hokuk Musa I actually got my black belt. It works different in in uh, Hokuk Musol. Obviously, when you get nothing against like the tr- traditional martial arts or anything, but when you get a black belt in jiu-jitsu, it feels a little different because you can only get kids belts until you're 16 mm-hmm. in jiu-jitsu, and then you can get the blue belt, and then you can start chipping away, and then that'll still take you another you know, five, six, seven, eight years yeah. to get your black belt from the time you get your blue belt. So it's it's like kind of a different thing, but I was uh, a black belt in Hokuk Musol, and I did all the competitions in that too, so I was like really into competing there. So as soon as I got into jiu-jitsu, I was already looking for tournaments. What did do. you, at 10, at, the, at 10 years old, so... Yeah. so your dad puts you in jujitsu, but it was probably a decision you guys made together at some point. Mm-hmm. What attracted you most to that modality? I think what originally Claudio, my dad works at um, at the Chaminade restaurant, so he knew Claudio from going there, and Claudio would always be like, "You should come try jujitsu. You should come try jujitsu," and. Uh, Dad was kind of just like brushing it off, like, oh, we already do a martial art, you know? And then yeah. and then when it opened up right next door, then we're like, you know, my dad's also a, a creature of habit and convenience a little bit too. He's kind of funny like that. It's like, okay, it's right here. Like, oh, okay. Now, <laughs> now let's try it, you know? And and uh, and then we we got the first UFC uh, on like VHS. I'm like 10 years old watching this. So in retrospect, it might have Blood been a little sport. bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like Hoist Gracie just... Arm barn and choking out all oh, the Oh, dude, that and, first one? Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> all these guys that thought they were going to own this little man. And, right. Dude, no, he had another thing coming. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was funny too, because I saw like a, um, a thing where, to switch subject for one second, like that um, Jay, uh, what's the name of the guy that, that martial artist um, actor that, that played Spawn? 
he's like a really famous black guy. He's like a martial artist guy who does like all oh, the Oh, I know who that, you're talking about. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Jay White or something like yeah. that. But he was saying how like... Um, how he could beat up Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee was so small and like in the real world martial artists how size makes such a difference and and he was saying how he he could obviously beat up Floyd Mayweather because he's so much smaller than him and stuff and and I'm like have you never seen the first UFC like (laughs) Hoist was the smallest guy in it like I understand what he's saying like like Bruce Lee was only like 130 pounds and and he's like 220 or something so I'm sure he probably could beat him up but he's just making it sound like size he's like in the real world size makes such a difference like we never heard of jiu-jitsu. Like maybe if you're you're doing striking arts, then maybe. Oh, dude, I, I saw this video of this. Probably the, the actor's name is Michael J. White. Michael J. White. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, but I saw the uh, I saw this video of this. It was like a closed caption. You know, like some guy was robbing a, a restaurant or something like that, and the guy was gigantic, and it, he was probably like six eight, six nine, you know, three hundred pounds, and. You know, just unwieldy, and he was wreaking havoc. And then this police officer comes in, wearing all his gear and all that stuff. And he probably was, I don't know, like five ten, five nine. You know, and 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 maybe with all his gear on, like two ten. You know, like <laughs> like this guy had everything going against him, right. uh, relative to the size and and you know mass of this this criminal, right? Mm-hmm. And but dude, the guy just gets behind him and takes him down and and does some sort of a choke or something, you know, <laughs> that he obviously learned uh, in BJJ primarily, so that not only for fitness purposes, but for a guy like him, so that he could protect himself while he's out on right. the street, which Greg Amundsen's always talking about. Oh, yeah. You know, you got to train like it's the fight of your life, which is the whole reason why he started CrossFit and doing all the things because of an experience he had on on the street as a right. sheriff where he got in a fight. Yeah, those guys yeah. are real warriors for sure. Do you remember? So you, you're 10 years old. You're you're eager to to get to get some, as uh, as Jocko would say. <laughs> uh, do you remember your first competition? I I remember a little bit. I think it was like um, a competition where there was like Taekwondo happening too, Hokuk Musol and Jiu Jitsu was both happening like at the same time. And I remember back then. It was like it, nowadays I I tell like all my child, the kids students that I have like how lucky they are to have the type of competitions that they have like we we just went to the um, kids pans that's at the same place as the adult worlds there's like twelve mats you know it runs like a, a professional tournament the tournaments that we do the BJJ tour as well the American Cup All Star U S Open run the kids just like the adults. They have pro uh, filming and they, you know, weigh them in and they have weight categories and age categories and the, and you know, everything works just like a a big tournament. So they're getting ready for what, the sport's going to be like when they're an adult since they're a little kid. But back then it was like, you'd go there and they just kind of eyeball you and stuff. I remember I'd get like my, I had like a yellow belt. So eventually I got to the yellow belt and then eventually I would start fighting. Like they'd be like, okay, he's a yellow belt. So you can put him against a kid that's like 20 pounds heavier, but a white belt. And I just kind of eyeball you together and throw you out there. And stuff. it was kind of nerve wracking in that way when you were like a kid, cause you didn't know like who you're going to go. Yeah. Against. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Nowadays they go, they can look up the name. They can look up the kids, you know, online and see them. They know they're going to be the same age and weight and everything. <laughs> like you guys are spoiled nowadays. What is, uh, what do you find most meaningful about, the practice of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The most meaningful, like to me or just in, in just general? About the art or to you? Man, I mean, to me, it means everything. You know, if, if it's, if I didn't have jiu-jitsu, then I don't, you know, I don't know what I would do, but it's, it's like, you know, it's cool because it's something that, is for me, it's got all the the things that someone would get out of like surfing or different kinds of activities that you might have. I don't know for some people it's hiking or rock climbing or whatever. You get that physical stimulus, you know, you get that endorphin release, you get that moment in your day where you're not thinking about anything else, you know, but then the added layer that you get, you know, also gets you in shape and all those things, but the added layer that you get with the, with jujitsu and, and other martial arts that you don't get with other things sometimes is that it's also teaching you a skill that you hope you'll never have to use, but may save your life at some point. You know what I mean? And so that's like the added thing that adds added meaning to that. You know, I wish it was something that every, especially every woman in the world was given 
you know, at least like a year or two worth of training, even if it was when they were like a kid or something, because nowadays the sexual assault is such a huge thing. And, you know, the scary thing for a woman is it's a bigger man is going to hold you down and try to do something to you that you don't want them to. And if you've got a blue belt level or a purple belt level in jujitsu, it's just the chance of them being able to do what they want with you is like zero at that point, you know? So uh, something that I'd like to see. There's starting to be more of a m- movement for it to be put into schools and stuff so that everybody just has like a basic... I just feel like our s- whole society would be better if everyone had like a baseless level knowledge of jiu-jitsu. You know? People, I think, too, would think a little more, too, before yeah. they do something yeah. with somebody else. Like- well, totally. <laughs> and I think that I think that one of the things now, especially because it's becoming a little bit more popular uh, as well as other forms of martial arts, like when you're walking down the street and I... I you know... <laughs> Like, if I didn't know you, right, if I did not know you and who you are and what you're capable of and what you've accomplished as a as a professional BJJ number one in the world athlete, you know, black belt, I wouldn't necessarily think I would because I, I don't think this way. But like somebody somebody could see Nathan Mendelson walking down the street with his coffee and whatever and be like, oh, I could take that guy. <laughs> like, it, when they try that, they're in for a rude wake-up call, you know? Yeah. Well, jiu-jitsu also gives you the confidence to not feel like you have to try to prove anything to you, but I, I'm not a street fighter type guy yeah. at all, and I'll do everything that I can to to avoid a, a conflict on the street if I want to, because, or if I can, because, you know, there, you don't gain anything from that. Right. You know, for me, it's like, I'm not, I don't get any, anything from getting in a fight right. with somebody. And even a fight that you win is right. Everyone loses. I mean, a, somebody, I'm talking about the guy that like has a bad day and right. wants to pick a fight. Yeah. Like you just never know today. Oh yeah. You know, totally. There's a lot, dude. There And there's a lot of women today, especially in this area. Cause there's so many studios. There's a lot of women that are badass. Oh yeah. You know, that can, that can, uh, that can take you. Like I know there, uh, Adriana, she's yeah. a, she's a gal here. She's she's pretty good now oh, yeah. too. She's a physical therapist, but her fiance, her husband is is a instructor as well, and and she's been practicing for a while herself. So you you've been doing this since the age of ten. You're how old now? I'm uh, twenty nine. Twenty nine. So long time, man. Long time. Black belt, ranked number one in the world, middleweight. No, no, I was ranked number number eight in the world. Number eight in Bef- the world before I hurt okay, my knee. So now I probably slid down because okay. everybody's fighting and the rankings are always yeah, changing yeah, and yeah. stuff. Well, yeah. number eight in the world. So thank you for hum- your hum- humility. But top in the world, okay, <laughs> top in the world, and and like you know that you're probably like you know point zero one percent. You're the tip of the spear relative to the people in your weight class that around the world rolling on the mats, right? And you're you're in the running to you're pursuing number one, right? Yeah, oh yeah. And then you jack your knee up. What did that do to you, like emotionally, mentally? What how, what did you? What were some of the conversations that you started to have with yourself, with others? I think like it's really important to have like a positive a positive storyline like happening in your head, you know. So I've always kind of. You know, I've had like, it's been kind of a slow climb to being like getting the good results against the the best of the best guys at the big tournaments for me. And so I come from a small team, you know, the majority of guys that are, that are out there, just the reality is that the most of them are taking steroids and most of them are coming from a, a big team that has like a lot of, um, it's kind of like magnet teams where, you know, talented athlete from, middle of nowhere over here, talented athlete from middle of nowhere over there. They all moved to San Diego and join a, this big team there or New York or whatever. So not to say that I have like things going against me, but I just have certain um, advantage, don't have certain advantages that maybe other guys do and stuff. So it's always been important to like, I think a lot of athletes that have um, potential to be one of the best in the world, maybe lose once at worlds, lose twice at worlds, you know, go and, and get submitted really quick one time. And, you know, they just start to get this like storyline in their head going, that's kind of negative to where they're, they're like, it's just not going to be me. You know, I'm always going to be kind of good, but I'm probably not going to be like the best. 
So I just always kind of tried to keep that that storyline going in my head. Like this is that that backstory that you're going to tell when you win the worlds. You're going to tell about all those times that you lost leading up to it, and it's going to be that much more like inspiring and stuff. So with the knee injury thing, it's the same kind of thing, you know. Is like I just have all I haven't. It didn't really like hurt me as far as my. I never have thought of it as being something that was going to hold me back as far as my career in in general. Also because I know so many people that have hurt their knees and and it's not like 15, 20 years ago where it was like a career ending type thing. It's like the surgeries are so good nowadays. The the surgeon that I got it done with, Dr. Stidham, he did uh, Benson Henderson's knee. He's worked with Cain Velasquez and Daniel Cormier and like a, a ton of UFC guys. So I knew that he had, a, you know, he's a good surgeon. And, and uh, so I just, it wasn't like I didn't have this super low down afterward. Like I had, I had low points during the recovery of just like, this is taking forever. Like this sucks. Like I'm, I wish I could be training and doing the things that I want, but I actually had it in my head, like that it's going to be a positive thing in the end, honestly, because I was so the, for like the last two years, I, I stopped drinking two years ago, like completely because it was something that wasn't good for me, like emotionally and, and mentally. And there's just the side of myself that I would let out when I would drink wasn't a side of me that I was proud of. And then also just like with training, it was like such an up and down thing. Like all the time I wanted to make it more of like a, just a steady incline. And that made a huge difference for me. So the two years leading up to my year and a half leading up to my injury, I was just like on a really like, uh, consistent grind. So I did like 20 tournaments per year. So I was starting to feel a little bit of a burnout. I think possibly what kind of led to that was just me not, yeah, not giving myself a certain amount of time. So I just kind of looked at that like six months. I haven't ever taken six months off of, of jujitsu, you know, to, to let my body recover and stuff. And now that I'm back to training, I actually feel really good. You yeah. know? And also like a mental thing too, is just like, it kind of lit that fire again. So I've just kind of the whole time looked at it almost as like a silver lining type Positive it's really thing. funny that you had that, you know, kind of juxtaposing your high school experience where you were like, dude, I need a summer. I need three months <laughs> to myself. And then now you're an adult and you own this. This is this is your story, your narrative that you're driving and you get injured and you get taken out of the game, not by your choice. And you're like, I just want to get back. Right. Like, isn't that that's so cool when that happens, <laughs> yeah. you know, because you're like, yes, I want to own this. <laughs> totally. Um one of the things I've noticed about you when I watch you compete on your on your on your videos, I've never seen you compete live. I've only seen, I've, I've watched the videos. Your face, dude, is so calm. <laughs> like, Thanks. and and even though the one video that uh, I just saw today, where it's been viewed like it's on its way to a million views or something like that, and it's, this guy's. It's a it's a fight. You won, I think. I did yeah, uh, yeah. in points, but you guys are like rolling like all <laughs> over the place, and it, it, it was a crazy match. But like the whole time, your face is just so calm. Like <laughs> I don't think I could do that. Like do you, do you like have a practice that you just kind of get in the zone? Yeah, I mean, you you try to learn how to when you're doing jujitsu. It's kind of like you want to be. I like to say kind of like a whip, you know, I try to tell the people to be like a whip. Like when you first start training your tendencies to be completely tense, when you go out there to compete, you like want to be like so tense that every muscle in your face and everything is just balled up in tension. And then that's why, you know, you like you can take a guy that's a really good CrossFitter, for example, and put him in a jujitsu match. A lot of times he's still going to gas within the first minute because he's used to, you know, doing like a, a one minute AMRAP or whatever, right. you know, he's going to go in like, and he's just so tense in that moment that it's the first thing that happens. He's going to, you know, so you have to learn how to like be relaxed and then snap. You know, mm -hmm. kind of like a whip. You want to be like kind of relaxed mm -hmm. the whole time. And then when you go, you snap, you mm -hmm. know, but you got, you got to release that tension because otherwise you're just going to be, you know, burning yourself out all the time. So I think that the face thing is kind of a, a reflection of that. Mm -hmm. But I also do a thing when I fight that I, I do like a grimace. Like when I start to feel, I do like this grimace and people always think I'm smiling. Like people <laughs> see that video and they're like, yeah. dude, that guy, he's smiling. He yeah, really yeah. likes to fight. And so yeah. I'm like, no, that's, that's a painful face. That's not a smile. <laughs> that's your pain face you're yeah. like you're smiling because it hurts so good right <laughs> exactly yeah no but that, that makes that makes a lot of sense the whole like be, be relaxed like a whip and then snap you know yeah. and i think that 
there's a lot of application to life in that example. So what are some other ways that that BJJ or martial arts in general has transferred over into other areas of your life, your relationships, business opportunities, all of those things. Yeah, I mean, jiu-jitsu is my main thing. So as far as business and everything at all, it's all revolves around that. And anyone that any, you know, uh, romantic relationships I've had is just like jiu-jitsu is, you know, people, they know that it's, you know, that's what it revolves around. Yeah, yeah. She's never like, you know, my ex-girlfriends or whatever. Never like I hear the guy saying, oh, my wife gives me, you know, crap when I go to train or whatever. It's never like that for me, obviously, because they know that it's my job and everything. But um, as far as like, you know, just the philosophy of jujitsu and, and like a lot of things in life, I kind of, you know, the way that I've like I was saying before, how it kind of I feel like it's like a a banging down of the door type of a thing in jujitsu for me, like trying to be the the best in the world. Like it's, I've come across so many kind of setbacks and stuff. And I, like I was kind of saying, how I have this like storyline in my head that I'm just like banging against this door and like, I'm eventually going to bang it down. Like that's kind of really helped me a lot with like, I try to apply that to other things in life. When I come up against something that's kind of difficult, you know, and I try once and it doesn't work. I try twice and it doesn't work. And then I'm like, you know, if I can do it with jujitsu, I can do it with this too. You know, just keep banging against that door, keep banging against that door, you know? I think the same thing in a lot of things too, when we try to learn things, we really focus on like these little details that we're trying to to learn. And we, we like focus on every little thing that we miss, you know, and I, I, I equate that to jujitsu a lot too. Like the beginner that just starts learning jujitsu and he wants to take a, a note of every single technique that he learns, you know, and, and he, he's got a notebook. You see these guys like for their first like year or two, a lot, you see people with like these notebooks and they're like writing down everything that the instructor showed them. And then they go to a, a seminar and they write down every detail that the person showed. And then, and then you never look at those notebooks and it ended up being yeah. like a huge waste of time, right. you know, as I, opposed to being fully present the whole time and just like, listening and watching and right. And just letting it like soak in and just being like, so I kind of apply that to other things too. It's like, it's more just about being there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like being there and just like kind of putting yourself into that situation and letting it kind of churn you, you know, it's like with training, it's like, I learned more from just being there and like trying jujitsu and like trying putting a hand here and then getting punished for it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or put this works there. This Mm -hmm. doesn't work there rather than like, spending all day long, like trying to study things. And, mm-hmm. and then you get like overwhelmed. Like, what if I forget that one detail or whatever? It's like, no, it's okay. Like, yeah. you know, I'll start to feel myself get stressed like that when I start trying to do something new, like, like video editing or like photography and like doing the YouTube and this like new projects that I have. I try to like equate that to jiu It's like, you don't have to get it all at once. Yeah. Just make videos. You know, your first video is not going to be that great. The next one's going to be a little better. Like just keep putting yourself in that situation and churn and just let your mm-hmm. yourself just kind of naturally get better and better. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. Is there room for BJJ is a, is a, is an old sport. It's been around for a long, long time. Right. And, and there's like the fundamental moves that everybody learns. I I've never done BJJ. I've watched it. I I plan on doing it at some point uh, with my kids. Yeah, and, we're waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, and um, but but I you know you all you hear people talk about like these specific moves that are really common with submissions or whatever. Is is there room for like innovation, right? Like for creating new techniques in in a sport that's old that where you have so many like 
grandmasters, right? So like, is there, is there room for Nathan Mendelssohn to create his own move or have you created your own <laughs> move? I don't even know. Well, that's the cool thing with, with jujitsu as opposed to other martial arts. Like there is a lot more room for innovation and, and creation of, of new things. Like I feel, I mean, I'm not an expert in boxing or striking. I've trained a fair amount of, of like kickboxing and stuff, but it seems to me that there's not, quite as much. I mean, people come with the, some different strategies and stuff, but it's just, you know, it's more, I feel like about just like trying to up your level and getting really good at, at timing and fainting and your strategy and, and different stuff like that. But it's mostly like a jab, a cross, a kick, a, you know, roundhouse, a roundhouse yeah. is really yeah. not that, that much, you know, with jujitsu, it's just infinite, you know? And, and we always say that like no one invents anything because you know, God invented the human body and it works based on physics and anything that you, any combination that you could possibly do or invent or has already happened. You right. know, if you go back and you watch like videos of like uh, judo, like back in the thirties, you know, and just, did, and even jujitsu back in the days and stuff, like you'll see people like there's these new moves, like uh, the beating bolo is a way that you stick your leg in between the guy's legs and you roll and you end up on his back. And it's like this, you know, kind of a new thing that everybody's learning how to do and stuff. And then you'll get some old black and white footage of somebody doing it, uh -huh. you know? And it's like, it, yeah. and so people want to say they invent something, but you don't, you kind of discover it or you rediscover it. And then the, the culture or like the, the whole community of jujitsu kind of picks up on things and it moves kind of together. So it's kind of cool to watch it happen. Like, for for a while, it was the 50-50, which is a situ situation where you end up in a position where your legs are like crossed across each other. So you're both kind of in a, the same position and you end up locked there. And uh, it was like a problem in the jiu-jitsu community where people were like talking about making this move, banning this move because all the matches were ending up becoming like really uh, boring because everybody was stuck in this 50, they call it the 50-50 because it's literally your 50-50. You're like in the same position and nobody knew how to get out of it and people would get there. And then a lot of times the match would be the whole, the whole rest of the match. And, and so there was like two, three, four years where this was this huge problem. And then over time, people just started using it more, using it more. People started coming up with more and more solutions to it. People figured out ways to attack from there. People found ways to get out of there. And then it just, resolved itself. And now it's not a problem anymore. Like people get into the 50, 50 and they get back out of the 50, 50, you know? And then like, it, then it became bidding bowl. Oh no, everybody's doing bidding bowl. Now the new thing is, is lapel guard and uh, like worm guard. So Keenan Cornelius, I don't know if you heard of Keenan Cornelius. He's a, uh, He's like a real famous guy. He's he's never won the world championships as a black belt, but he's like one of the best American black belts. And he's like he's known as this innovator who's always coming up with new stuff and branding and new new moves and stuff like that. And so the worm guard is kind of his thing. And he just came out with the worm guard encyclopedia where he gave a ton of different options from it. And that's like the new fad now. So everybody's wrapping the lapel around their leg and finding a new way to wrap it around their leg and then around the other guy's leg and then pass the hand this way and that way. And so that's <laughs> Uh, that's like the new thing in the jiu-jitsu community that everybody's all going back to their academies and experimenting with new stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But not ignoring the fundamentals also, right? Because That's another huge problem is, you know, depends on the academy that you go to. You know, like that's one of the great things about our academy is you've got, it's one of the few academies in the world that I feel like that's the, I mean, there's definitely others out there, but that has so well both sides of it. Because Claudio is like, just he he his master's master was Elio Gracie, so mm. he's so close to the to the original you know uh, source, and he knows all the the self defense moves like defense against chairs and defend all all that type of stuff. He knows all of that. He's got the the basic type of game where like I'll train with him today, and he'll still kick my butt with just with the basics that he's mm -hmm. been teaching me since I was ten years old, and he's got it down so well. Like my new like game is to, my new goal is to try to get as good at the basics as he is. And then you've got me and, and all these new guys coming up that have all the new game too, you know, yeah. because some academies people get bored because they don't have the new game. Mm -hmm. Other academies, people skip the the foundation and the basics and they go right to worm guard, bidding bolo. They're teaching the white belts, bidding bolo. They don't even know how to do a, a snake move yet or how to do the basic stuff. So, so, you know, it depends on the academy that you go to, you know, what do you think, 
is is it could be in in life or jujitsu. Uh, what what's been the the thing that you've encountered that's required you to draw on the most courage? Well, one thing that was that took a lot was was the stopping to drink thing was a big mm-hmm. thing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, that took took some courage. You know, it's something that's that's difficult. You know. Because of the people that you it meant, like not being around some people that you used to like to hang out with and stuff. Yeah, and just learning how to, you know, still be in those kind of situations without drinking, and and you know, not not necessarily take myself a hundred percent out of those situations and right. stuff, but just just tell people, you know, like I just don't drink, you know, and people yeah. just, you know, I still have friends that'll like, you know, like, oh, are you drinking today? I'm like. I don't drink, dude. You know, I don't drink. <laughs> he yeah. ask me that yeah. every time. Yeah. But like, just and that was just something that was just hard. It's just hard in our in our society nowadays, just to you know, especially being a single guy and everything too, and like just being like, okay, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm going to shut my brain to that whole side of like life and stuff, you know. So that was something that, but definitely the best decision I've ever made, you know, for me personally. Yeah. And and just learning how to how to still like go out and how to still date have fun and how and to still that. have fun and do all that without, without the, the, the alcohol. I, I think it's actually a, a really, a, a huge thing. I mean, like kudos to you to do that because a, a lot of people won't, you yeah. know, even though they know that, you know, they, you, you know, there's a, there's the word passion, right? And probably at the end of the day, when you, when you reflect, and I'm totally projecting here, but I would imagine that, when you reflect back on it, like it was an easy decision because you're like, it's either this or that. And it's all about jujitsu. Right. So like, it was like, okay, peace, yeah. peace, you know, and, and I'm going to move on because I'm passionate about jujitsu. I'm willing to suffer for that. And that means that I have to let go of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's but awesome. Also, also what made it easier was that it was like, <clears throat> it was leading to so many situations that was making me suffer more by having it in my life. So it mm. ended up being something that was like, you know, if I stop this, it's actually going to make my life easier, you know? Mm-hmm. It was, and mm-hmm. I just was looking at the two possible outcomes and, and, you know, it was kind of like a fork in the road for me. So when I look going one way, I was like, you know, of course things bad can happen, but if I stop drinking, it's mostly going to be positive outcomes. You know, if I, if I keep drinking, then I don't really know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? I'm not hundred percent sure. So I it made it kind of easy that way. And I was just, you know, I was getting emotional hangover and stuff was the thing that made it so. Yeah. Know, I was just like, I didn't want to go there anymore yeah. with this. So that, that made it, it, if it was only like, I've always had in my head that I would do better in jujitsu if I just never drank. But if I didn't have that like immediate, like suffering that I was feeling from, from it, it wouldn't have been as, as easy to let it go. Speaking of courage, you know, you, you've obviously, you've, you've, fit, you've had how many competitions in your, 20 years of competing a lot, you know, a lot, you know, like you're a, you're, you know, super highly rated black belt today. And, and I would imagine still that when you face a competitor across the mat, you, there's still that stuff that happens, the, the butterflies, the anxiety, the intimidation, the whatever. So how do you like, what do you do to first, like, prepare yourself mentally before you get on the mat and then right before they say fight or whatever they say. (laughs) (laughs) Kombachi. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Actually, Greg helped me a lot with that. Oh, really? Yeah. I had like a really uh, hard like dip when I was a brown belt. So... You know, I had like to go back to kind of the storyline that I created for myself. It was like, you know, when I was a younger, I was a lower belt, you know, I was a blue belt. And then I, I kind of hurt my back leading up to like my last worlds as a blue belt. And I was still able to do it, went a few rounds deep and then lost a match and then recovered my back and went and I finished all my matches at the U S open. So I got my purple. So then I'm like, okay, I wasn't world champion as a, as a blue, but I'll be world champion as a purple. And then I went and got on the the podium at the pans as a purple. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to win worlds. And then I lost in the first round of worlds to the guy that ended up winning. And then, so, okay, it didn't happen at purple. And then I got to Brown, you know, and then, and I just, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to win it at Brown, you know? And then I had a similar thing. I, I lost a couple different times, one time to the guy that won. And then, 
then uh, I stayed another year at, at Brown because I'm like, I'm going to win a world championship before I get my black belt so that I can prove to myself that I, I can do it, you know? And then I put so much pressure on myself as this last year as a Brown belt. I have to, and I had like my worst year competitively ever because I just had so much pressure on myself. And then I got my black belt. And then I was just like in this thing, like in my head, like, wow, like I didn't win the worlds at, at any of the lower belts. Like, how is it possible to, to, to win as a black belt? And, you know, I had so much pressure on myself and just all these mental things. And I was starting to feel myself like during the matches, having like bad mental things like, oh man, you know, am I going to be able to win this? This sucks. Do I even want this? And, and all kinds of stuff like that. So then I approached Greg to help me with that, you know, and, uh, he, he helped me with, affirmations and mantras. So now I use affirmations and mantras like before I compete. So one, my main one is I always believe in my ability to impose my game on any opponent. So that's like my main go-to one. Like I have different ones for different situations. Like if I'm like going deep into a tournament and I have a lot of matches, then I'll do, um, Every fight is my first fight, my last fight and my only fight. So it helps me to focus on each match just independently of another. You know, the impose my game one is a big one because it's hard for you to convince yourself, especially when you're competing at the highest, highest level. So you know that that's the thing with like the black belt. Sometimes you're fighting guys that you've been a fan of since you were a blue belt and the guy's undefeated or he's whatever. So it's hard for you to say, I'm so much better than this guy, you know, because the guys are the best in the world. So how are you going to be like, oh, I'm so much better than that person. But I can convince myself that I can impose my game on him and then I can win because I'm imposing my game. Even if he's just as good as me, I can still do that, you know? And, and so the affirmations help, like I'll, I'll be before the match, even during the match, you know, I'll start to thoughts will start coming up. And I always believe in my ability to impose my game on any opponent. And I just have it like on my, on my tongue. So that's like the, the, I love the that dude. thing. Yeah. I love that. I also love the, uh, the every round is my first round. What what is it again? Every round, every is my... fight is my first fight, my last fight, and my only fight. Yeah, man, that's so good. I could use that in some of those long uh, five five round battles. <laughs> yeah, at CrossFit. Yeah, yeah. totally. No, Super totally. similar. Yeah. What's the most surprising thing you learned about yourself as a competitor throughout your uh, fighting experience, or maybe it's even like a uh, one of your first competitions where you were like fighting someone that you respected like and you beat them one situation that was you know surprising was like my first first world as a black belt i fought you know i fought multiple time world champion uh michael longi in my first my first uh world as a black belt and uh that was after having lost as a brown belt in the world's a year year before, you know, and I was having these kind of mental things like, oh, am I do I even belong here now? You know, I got my black belt after having lost at Worlds or whatever, and now I'm gonna go against the, the you know the favorite to win and whatever. I ended up losing the match, but I lost it only by one advantage. And it was like super close match. And then like uh, Gracie Magazine made it like the number one best fight outside of the finals and stuff. So that was kind of a surprising thing for me. <laughs> and it kind of set me off on a, a good a good foot. And, and my first fight as a black belt actually was against like a rival of mine, um, Tanner Rice, who's now like he's way bigger than me now, but back at, back in the day, we were the same weight class. People won't believe it. Cause he's like an ultra heavyweight now or super heavyweight or whatever, but Tanner he, rice, is Tanner, rice, Tanner yeah. rice. He used to be a, a, a lightweight. We fought at the worlds as a Brown belt as lightweight and, and he won the worlds. And then, uh, he closed it out with a teammate of his. And then I fought him as my first fight as a black belt. So I was like, I got to start off on a, on a, on a good foot. And then, and he was beating me the whole match. And then I passed his guard in the last 10 seconds Ooh, and, and, nice. I, and I won the match. So th those are a couple like <clears throat> surprising ones where it was kind of like, I had that like storyline in my head. Like I have to win at these lower belts to be able to win at the black belt, you know? And I, and that goes back to kind of what we were talking about with other people. Like I see with a lot of guys that have potential and that doesn't happen. And they believe like, I can't, I can't do it at black yeah. belt because I didn't do it at the lower belt. So they give up on it. But those two experiences like kind of set me off on that right foot at the black belt. It's like, it doesn't matter. You could win at the lower belts and it doesn't mean you're going to win at the black belt and you could not win. You know, people are so tied to their past and yeah. like what, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I, I kind of started to change that storyline totally. in my head. You know, you know there's a, uh, I gave you a book by this guy named Dr. Jim Aphromau. Yes, uh, yeah. And uh, he's a great sports psychologist. 
And he has this whole saying, uh, mantra that he encourages his athletes that says, basically, go for the gold, don't settle for silver, right? Yeah. But it's relative, right? It's not about what someone else is doing. It's about what you're doing, right? Yep. And I wear it actually on my, on my, my, I have a bracelet I made like with that mantra, right? So it's relative to what you are doing, right? And, and so the, a great, example of that too that that crosses over from from uh, BJJ to a totally different other sport is snowboarding right uh sorry not snow alpine skiing there was this woman in the in this Esther Ladoska or something like that from the Czech Republic in uh the winter olympics and she was a two sport olympic athlete snowboarding and alpine skiing she was 20th out of 26th in in the final round for this alpine downhill alpine skiing right the austrian who had basically who had swept up swept everybody up was already like getting hugs collecting her medals basically you know people saying congratulations meanwhile at the top of this mountain is esther in 20th place or something like that still has to compete still has a chance (laughs) right 20th place she could go from 20th place to first she could so but she didn't think about it she's like you know what i'm I'm just gonna have fun i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best right i'm gonna go for the gold i'm not gonna sell for silver i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna impose my game on this mountain and on everybody watching right so you know bam she goes off she comes down wins gold (laughs) by a tenth of a second (laughs) she doesn't even know how she did it like the the her, the, her her the look on her face that her jaws dropped it's actually stunning to watch, right? That's and being in the zone. You know, being in the zone and just focusing on your game and not the fact that somebody else who thinks they won is already celebrating. And enjoying it. Right, and having fun, totally. And that, yeah. that's the thing too that I felt like in that year that I had a bad performance all year long, I was putting too much pressure on myself. And I feel like a lot of athletes have a feel bad trying to have a good time at a tournament because I feel like they're not taking it seriously. And then I started reading the book that you gave me was one. Um, another book that I I got, it was something about the men, uh, mental toughness and all this. Because we always talk about mental toughness. So you feel like I have to be tough. I have to grit my teeth and I have to whatever. And all the books really talk about having fun and enjoying it because positive emotions are what's actually going to call up a good, good performance in yourself, you know, and it's not, it's, it's not you not taking it seriously. It's you enjoying the most intense thing possible. And that, and that makes it feel not that bad. So I, I, I see some people like try to make it fun the wrong way though. Yeah. Cause like, like I have certain athletes and stuff that, that just like, they have a hard time making weight for a certain weight class. I'm just going to go weight class up so I have more fun. No, 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 no. Yeah. You know, if you'd wanted to choose a sport that you didn't have to make weight, do virtual fighting. Do UFC video game on PS4. <laughs> yeah. Play Street Fighter. Yeah, you yeah. know, do chess. You know what I mean? It's like lo- losing weight and cutting weight is part of fight sports. You know, you're going to have to do it. But it's learning how to to be in that situation that's the most intense. The You know, you're in the middle of just this meat grinder, and but having a smile on your face and enjoying it. So it's not about like trying to, to f- get away from the tough situation. It's about finding that way to be able to like be having fun. Yeah. Just like Jocko, like good. Yeah, you know, yeah, good. good. Yeah, yeah, totally. I got 10, 10 pounds of to lose. Good. That's yeah. going to be fun. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Speaking of fun, you know, you're not just a one trick pony. You're not just a BJJ guy. You like to do all kinds of things. You're a creative human being. We're all creative, right? We all have these outlets, right? So, so you are doing video editing. You got your, your up and coming YouTube star doing hip hop. Why is it important to you to have an outlet besides BJJ? I think it's important to like stimulate your brain in in other ways. You know what I mean? It's like, cause you have to be so <clears throat> like, that's something that I could almost be better at with jujitsu is like studying more film and doing more. But my, my life is so much jujitsu all the time that it's like when I get out of, out of um, training, I want to kind of switch my brain to, to something different. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and, like I, one thing I like to do is like read comic books and stuff like that. So I'm trying to switch that now to more like things that'll be more productive, but still give me that same kind of stimulus to where I'm like getting a mental relaxation almost by like not 
weighing myself thinking about jujitsu and stuff. So like, you know, now I'm editing video or I'm writing a song or I'm doing, doing whatever, you know, I think it's kind of like a way to do like a mental reset. Totally. And then also if I can combine that, like with the YouTube thing with being something that's actually going to help bring me forward, possibly financially in the future or in different ways, then, then that's even better. I think that that's important too, that for all the kids in particular that look up to you and they see that you're not that you you don't just do one thing, right? That it's okay to have many passions because we're we're all we we're all created for a purpose, but there's different ways that our purposes can be used and deployed in the world, right? Totally. And it's just about us choosing to do that as opposed to having someone else try to choose it for us. Right. As we wrap up the, the conversation, I want to make sure that um, people know where they can uh, check you out, where they can interact with you. You're super active on Instagram, I know. Where else can where would be the easiest place? And we'll link to everything in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. Um, Instagram for sure. Uh, Nathan Mendelson, BJJ, M E N D E L S O H N, all one word, all lowercase, lowercase. I've been posting there like uh, one technique. I've been trying to do pretty much like on Fridays. I've been doing like a little technique there where I kind of show the technique and then I'll, <clears throat> I'll uh, show a little clip of me using it in competition. And then, uh, on uh, YouTube, I'm also doing a video every Wednesday. So I'm doing like a technique of the week. And that's also Nathan Mendelssohn BJJ, but three separate words on on YouTube. And I'm going to start bringing some more stuff, different types of content there too. Like when I start getting back to training and competing, I'm going to start doing vlogs and stuff everywhere that I go, like when I travel and compete. And so you'll see kind of the lead up to the tournament, the competition, and then talk about it a little bit afterwards. So I'm, I'm building up to doing maybe like two or three videos a week there. But right now it's every Wednesday, you can count on a new technique of the week there. And then I'm also on Facebook, of course, too, Nathan Mendelson, BJJ. Right on. We'll, we'll be sure to link to all of those things in the show notes and i do encourage people to check that out and he occasionally posts his hip-hop videos and stuff yeah. too with his it's like a portuguese uh kind of mashup of rap right yeah that's another thing yeah so elite technique that's my my rap name and it's kind of you know it's me but it's also a little bit of like a character too i use like this uh samurai mask yeah, you know, yeah. And, and stuff. So it's kind of like a alter ego. It's a little bit of an alter ego. Yeah. And so I'm working on one that's really like, I've always done hip hop forever and stuff. And, um, I have a SoundCloud elite technique. You can see some of my stuff up there, but I'm, I'm coming out with an official project now. It's called Kimura trap volume one. So I just finished recording it and it's get in the process of getting mixed and mastered. And I'm, next Monday, I'm going to shoot the first set, session of shooting the video for it. So we're going to do two different sessions of shooting. And so as soon as that's all edited up, I'm going to have a music video coming out. That's sick. And that'll be on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, and all that too. Awesome. I love it. I ask, I conclude every conversation with the same three questions for every guest. Okay. So the first question is if you, Nate, could pick any skill set that you currently possess. Okay. So any skill BJJ related, life related, whatever, any skill that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? I th- I think it would be uh, consistency. Okay. Like if, if that counts as a skill set, yeah, like the, totally. the ability to just like <clears throat> to choose something and be consistent at it. You know, if I could do that with anything, you know, just say, okay, I'm going to be consistent at practicing this or whatever it is. Then if that could be my, my superpower, I would, I would make it that. Dude, I love it. I love it. <laughs> what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing what we're fully capable of achieving? I think, uh, one is, you know, that it's going to be easy, you know, that's going to be fun all the time, you know, and, uh, you know, and just that it's going to happen quickly, you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to be, you know, I'm just, I'm going to win the world's the first time that I try and I'm just going to breeze through everybody. And it's, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to have to lose any weight to do it. And I'm just, you know, I was born to be, it's, it's not even our fault really. It's just like, that's what people have fed to us forever. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're that guy. Everybody wants to be that, that guy that just breezes through every match and doesn't even train drinks on the weekends and wins everything, you know? And so I think that's, that's like the most dangerous, I think lie that's Ooh, been fed to us. Totally. You know? you know, I had this guy actually, you just reminded me of this. His name is Eli Bremer. He is, um, a, a pent athlete. So five sport, 
Olympic athlete. Wow. And, you know, Air Force officer, all kind of, you know, now he now he works for Shackley, the organization. He's the he helps get their athletes sponsored. So he runs that <laughs> whole thing. Awesome. Um I could connect to you if you want, yeah, you know. I need uh, that. <laughs> but uh but he has this whole thing about quit trying to win and start trying to be good. Wow. You know, because the the example he gave was Apollo Ono, the ice skater, right, right. Uh, the the speed skater. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was competing, he's the most decorated Winter Olympic athlete in history. But one time he lost the he didn't win at all, right? Because he was skating in this clump of people, and uh, uh, this Korean guy clipped his skate. And caused the whole like Peloton or whatever it is to to collapse, right? And the guy that was way in the back was an Australian who skated through and won, <laughs> won gold, <laughs> right? So you know he's like, quit, st- like focus on being good, focus on being good because those are going to produce the results that are going to last, right? Right. Where you're like Apollo Ono, mm-hmm. and and it's your storyline, right? That guy, yeah, the the Australian, he won gold. That's his only medal. He's ever won, you know, as far as I know. But right. but it's like focus. It's such an important lesson. Focus on being good. Yeah. Right. Like don't get focused on on the outcome. Focus on the process. I yeah. love. Anyway, that's huge. Last question. There's a uh, there is a a book by the name of how will I, uh, by the name of how will you measure your life? That's the title of the book. And so, since you're a musician and a creative person, I'd love for you to take the the act of creating music or or a hip hop and answer that question so if you could pick like a refrain or a chorus that would answer that question what would that refrain be or what words would be in that refrain how will you measure your life yeah like one of my own or from yeah, somebody yours else? yours my yeah. own yeah okay you put me on the spot now now i got to think <laughs> <laughs> i have an idea for you you said it earlier what is knocking on the door? That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I have a song actually. I was just thinking, I was trying to remember, call up all the lyrics to it, but there's one that's, that was called, uh, on, on this new project, it's called Born to Be the Best. Oh, nice. That's one of them there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nathan Mendelson, dude. Brother, thank you for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneurship, brother. Thanks a lot for having me, man. That was awesome. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.